A very good evening. Please do be seated. It's lovely to have you all with us this evening. And this evening we're going to be continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of John. We're now uh, at the reading we just heard from John chapter 6. So it would be really good if you could keep your Bibles open on to John chapter 6, verse 22. It was on page 1063 if you've closed it. John chapter 6, verse 22. There's an outline in the middle of your bulletin you, that you might find helpful. And let's start with prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would grant to us by your Spirit to so understand your word that in it we would see your Son, Jesus Christ, and in him hope, comfort, assurance, and love. This we ask in his name. Amen. Number one. Jesus of Nazareth. When Time magazine set out to, to rank the 100 most significant people in all of history, number one was Jesus. And that's nice that they recognize he's significant, isn't it? But, but it also doesn't really say very much unless they can also tell us why he is significant, what is significant about Jesus and what does that mean? Because as it turns out, knowing why Jesus is significant and, and so responding rightly to him is actually very, very important. And today is the very question which we'll be exploring as we see Jesus explaining his own significance to a group of Jews who are struggling to see it. We are so far in this series up to John chapter 6 and verse 22. And let me remind you what happened yesterday. Yesterday, Jesus fed with a few barley loaves and, and fishes, 5,000 people until they were full. After that, he himself, he'd gone up onto a mountain alone and his disciples had got into a boat without him and started across the sea to Capernaum. Jesus, during the night, had walked upon the water. He'd met the boat, he'd stilled the storm, and he'd brought them safe to their destination. It's now morning. The crowd that he had fed are still on the other side of the sea, and it seems their agenda item for today is to go and find that Jesus who gave them food last night. And it seems that they're reasoning among themselves, that they're saying, well, there was one boat. His disciples got into the boat, Jesus didn't get into the boat. Okay, so Jesus must still be somewhere here. And so, and so they've been searching for him, uh, but they can't find him on that side of the sea. And so uh, when some boats from Tiberias uh, come near, they get in those boats and, and have those boats bring them to Capernaum. Perhaps, uh, perhaps they want to ask what the disciples think of where Jesus might be. And there, this is verse 25. Surprise, surprise. They find Jesus there, already on the other side, and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? But Jesus isn't about to explain to them how he managed to outpace them across the sea without a boat. He's actually more concerned with why they are seeking him at all. Whether they have understood 
his true significance. So why are they coming to Jesus? Well, he, he himself answers them. Verse 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Not because they've seen signs, but because they've eaten their fill of the loaves. Not because they wanted Jesus who had been testifying to them, but because he had fed their bellies last night until they were full. And do you know what is ironic? The very feeding of their bellies that has got them so excited now was the sign that should have told them why Jesus really is significant. If you were here last week, think back to what you heard. What was the true importance of that feeding the 5,000? It wasn't Wow, this is a man who could feed 5,000, was it? It was God's sign that this is the man. This is Jesus, the prophet like Moses, the one who does the sign of the feeding of the bread from heaven like Moses, the one to whom they therefore must listen. Yes, they're coming to him, aren't they? But for all the wrong reasons, and so... They're also coming to him to seek the wrong thing. What would be the right reason for them to come to Jesus then? Well, very graciously, Jesus explains it to them. And this is verse 27. He first says to them, Do not labor for the food that perishes. It is, don't keep trying to get more bread and fish from me. And then he says, But for the food that endures to eternal life, which is to say, I have something better than that. Food which will last forever. And this food which will last forever, he says, is to be given to them as a gift, as he says. The food which lasts for, which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. What does it mean, has set his seal? God has testified that he is the one, that that's what the sign, the feeding, had to say. His point is basically, don't come after me for barley loaves. That's to misunderstand entirely yesterday. But, to come to, but come to me for what I bring, eternal life from the Son of Man. But, but they still don't get it, do they? And so, having heard his gracious words, they respond to him in verse 28, asking, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Uh, and when I first read this, I was scratching my head and trying to think, why are they asking something that doesn't seem to relate to what he's just said? And my best guess is that what they got from Jesus' words was basically, uh, you have to go and labor if you want food that endures to eternal life. And so they want to know what that labor is. What are the works that they should do to get the bread? Entirely missing the point that he has already said clearly that the Son of Man will give to you. How silly it is and, and illogical to insist on only hearing the bits that you want to hear as if you can just ignore the rest. Thankfully Jesus here is a great model of patience and so he answers them again kindly according to their folly saying verse 29 this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. He's speaking simply and straightforwardly. 
If they know his significance, if they will only believe in him, then they will have the gift of eternal life. It's as simple as that, except for the fact that they still don't see his significance and believe in him. And so instead of coming to him for that eternal life, they still are hoping perhaps for another meal. And, and do you see what they try in verse 30? In verse 30, they're trying to persuade him to, to perhaps still give them a, a miraculous breakfast, let's say. They say to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And they have a sign in mind. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, they say. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Nice try. They've missed the significance of Jesus, haven't they? He's given them the perfectly good sign already. That's why they're there now. It's just they've misunderstood it. So again, patiently, he explains his true significance to them. And he points them to the fact that he is the one who brings something much, much better than even one big breakfast or, or even a thousand breakfasts. He says to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The argument here is an argument from, from types or, or shadows. Jesus is saying, back then in the wilderness, their fathers ate limited bread. Bread that perished, that lasts for a while, that sustained their mortal life only for, for a certain number of years. Good. But its main significance was to point forward to another feeding that was to come. A much greater day when God would give his people much greater bread than manna. A bread from heaven that would never perish. A bread from heaven which would sustain them, not just for a few years of mortal life, but would keep them for life everlasting. As he says, a true bread that comes from someone far greater than Moses. And if they can see what that true bread is, then how much more should they desire the true bread than more of the bread that perishes, which their fathers ate and died? Perhaps such niceties are, are lost on them. It seems they're still obsessed with the word bread. And they ask in verse 34, Sir, give us this bread always. At which point Jesus starts to speak very, very plainly about what he means by bread. And he says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Despite what they've been hoping for, he has not been talking about physical food at all. Not at all. He has been talking about himself, himself, given for the life of the world. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again they've asked for bread, and again he said, believe in me me because it is as simple as that this is how they are to eat this bread that endures to eternal life not with the mouth or the stomach but by coming to jesus and believing in him 
The true significance of Jesus is not that he is someone who is able to miraculously feed people with barley loaves that perish, but because he is the one that the Father has sent into the world that all, that all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The same is true for us too today, isn't it? If we, this very day, desire to eat the bread of God that endures to eternal life, what do we do? How do we find it? We do just what Jesus himself says. We come to him. We believe in him. There's nothing more to it. Hear his words again. This is verse 35, and it's very important. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Sadly, at least at this point, the crowds which are with Jesus, despite all they've seen and and now heard, they still haven't quite grasped who Jesus is, uh, and they've not come to trust in him, as Jesus says to them in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And and sadly, because they do not believe, not only will they not get the bread that perishes, but they will not get the eternal life he comes to bring, nor will they share in the resurrection of life when he comes again on the last day. But what are those who have? What are those who have seen the true significance of Jesus and therefore have come to him and believed in him? What can they expect of Jesus? Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, to them is given the very riches, the overflowing mercies, the the generous grace, the blessings of God in his Son. For to them, Jesus says, are given promises sure and certain and unshakable that they can hold to in this world and the next. For to all who indeed come to Jesus and believe in him, to all who the Father gives to him, he promises that He will never, verse 37, he says, I shall never cast out if they belong to him today. And if you and I are one of them, if we belong to him, then we can be certain that he will not discard us. Not today. He will not send us away. Not tomorrow or the next day or any other day, even to the end of of eternity itself. He will not cast us out. We have in him eternal security, the hands of the one whom the Father sent into the world, that the world might be saved through him. As Jesus says, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of him who sent Jesus? Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And if you think about it, this is even stronger than the last promise we heard, for not only do we know that he will not decide to cast them out But now we know that he will hold them so firmly, so reliably, so securely that no power in heaven or on earth is possibly able to take them out of his hands. He will lose nothing of all the Father has given him. And although they may die 
like other men, yet they shall not perish, for he will raise them up on the last day. It is the Father's will, so that all who have come to him, all who have believed in him, will never perish but have eternal life. That's Jesus' very own promise, isn't it? In verse 40, where he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In our passage today, Jesus has not yet explained the great and terrible costs that he will have to pay to do this, to give eternal life to sinners like you and I. And next week we will start to see it, where he starts to to, to picture himself given his flesh and his blood in the sacrifice of the cross in our place dying our death that we could have life but that's for next week so come next week but for now our application comes from what we have seen and I think there are two the first application is that we have seen that we must come to Jesus and believe in him We must trust in the one who came into the world that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. This is the true significance of Jesus, far beyond any other blessing or work or hope or expectation we might pray for from him. This is his great significance that he has come to give us the gift of salvation by faith in his name. And so if you are someone here today who knows that you have not yet trusted in this Jesus for eternal life, then I do not say to you that I think it's advisable to do so, nor do I say to you that I think it is a good idea to do so. In fact, I say to you that if you have not trusted in him for eternal life, you must do so, for there is none other who can give you life in his name. whilst everyone who believes in him has eternal life whoever does not believe is condemned already for as the scriptures say he has not believed in the name of the only son of God second application is for those who have come to him those of us who have believed in Christ for us let us let the rich and comforting words of Christ today reassure us that we have believed rightly, that we have placed our trust in the one who indeed came into the world to bring us life, the one who indeed will raise us up, having lost not one single one of us on the last day, just as the Father willed, we have believed exactly the right Jesus. And we know in him, We know that no matter what happens, whether tomorrow brings us war or famine or plague or death, whether tomorrow brings the very armies of hell to our doorsteps or we fall into the sin we most hate, we know because of his gracious promise that we remain absolutely secure and he will raise us up on the last day. So my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Take comfort, take courage, take hope. For he who holds us so firmly in life would never let us go, but raise us up 
on the last day. Let's pray. Almighty God, our, our wonderful and loving and gracious, blessed Father, we praise you because in, in, in the amazing depths of your love, you sent your Son down from heaven into this world to save us, to give us the gift of eternal life. We thank you that for our sake and our salvation, he suffered the death of the cross, that we might not die, but have life in his name. We thank you, Father, that he calls us by these gracious words to come to him, to believe in him, and to find life in his name. Pray, Father, that you would work in the hearts of each and every one of us, that there would not be one here this evening who will not be firmly trusting in your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, this very day. Draw those who do not know him to see who he is and trust in him. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would so strengthen the faith of all those who do trust in him that we would be filled with that deep comfort and hope, that assurance and security of his gracious and loving promises. And we pray, Father, for that day when when this blessed Saviour will return again, for that last day when we and all his people will rise again to life eternal and an eternity with him who so loved us that he gave his life for us, in whose name we pray. Amen.